Welcome. In Parshas Miketz, we learn about Yosef, who started off his career in Mitzrayim as a slave, and then eventually was thrown in jail when he was falsely accused of a, of a terrible crime. And we learn how, through a miraculous series of events, he ended up being the viceroy, the second-in-command to the pharaoh, to the king of all Egypt. And we read that he was brought in front of Pharaoh, and it says, and Pharaoh appointed him to be in charge of the, of the whole country during the seven years of plenty, and then during the seven years of famine that were predicted. And it says, Vayarkev oso bimerkeves amishna asherbo. Paro um, gave, caused Yosef to ride. He gave Yosef a ride in the Merkevis Amishna, in the second carriage that he had. We'll discuss very soon, Amir Sashem, what is the explanation of that term, the Merkevis Amishna, but we'll call it for the moment his second, second chariot. And they, they called out in front of Yosef, Avrech. And the translation of this word Avrech is going to be the major, the major uh, topic of this Shi'ar. So I'm not going to translate it now. But they called out in front of him <coughs> Avrech. And giving him, a, placing him upon all of the land of Mitzrayim. The word Vinason is what is called a mocker. It is the infinitive of the verb. It's not he put, they put, or she put, or anything like that. It means, and placing him over everyone in Mitzrayim. Let's begin with Rashi. Mishnah. what does that mean in his second Merkava, in his second chariot? Hashniya Lemerkavto. This is a chariot that is second to the chariot of the king himself. Hamahaleches Eitzel Shaloi. This chariot goes next to the chariot of the king. So the king has his royal chariot, and but there's a second chariot, which always is given the honor of riding in next to the king with some very important person in it. So here, Paro placed Yosef into this second chariot. And they called out in front of him, Avreich. And this is a somewhat mysterious word. And Rashi is going to give us three explanations. First, he says, Kitargumoi. We should explain this word according to the Targum, meaning according to Targum Unculus, who says, Dain Abba This person is the father or the companion of the king. That's what it means, Avreich. Now, Av, of course, that's the part that means Abba. What does Reich mean? Reich, Belushan Arami. Melech. The word reich in Lushan Arame, in Aramaic, means king. There are some who there is a some who change the girsa, and they say that it should be Belushan Roimi. And assuming that that is correct, the word reich probably is like the word the Latin word rex, which means king. And Rashi tells us a place in Gemara where we find the word reich having the meaning of king. It's in the first chapter of Baba Basra, where someone says, I am not a king and I am not the son of a king. 
Okay, let's continue. So that's Rashi's first shot that Avrech means Dain Abba the Malka, the father or the patron or the companion of the king. Of course, it doesn't mean biological father. In words of Agoda, the Rashi Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda Darshans, Rabbi Yehuda expounds the, the, the Pasuk as follows. Avrech ze Yosef. The word Avrech, that refers to Yosef. Because he is an Av, he is a father in wisdom, meaning he is an older, mature person in wisdom. But he is soft and gentle in his years. He's a young man. He was only 30 years old at the time. He's a young man, but he was an Av Bechachme. He was like a, an older man, a father, in terms of his wisdom. That's what Rabbi Yehuda says. Av Reich. Amalur Rabbi Yosi ben Dormaskis. Rabbi Yosi ben Dormaskis said to Rabbi Yehuda, For how long will you twist upon us the, the psukim? Why are you, for how long are you insisting on corrupting and twisting the meaning of the psukim? It doesn't mean av b'chachma rach b'shanem. That's, that's just twisting the meaning of the Pasuk, uh, claims Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus. Instead, Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus says, in avreich evolushen berkayim. The word avreich only refers to one's knees. It's a word based on the word berech or berkayim for knees. That everybody would enter and exit under the hand of Yosef, meaning whoever comes into the presence of Yosef is always going to be sort of bending his knees and bowing to Yosef. Everyone should bow to Yosef. And this is similar to what it says in the end of the Pasuk. And he was placed upon all of Mitzrayim, meaning he, his position, his status, was placed above everyone else in Mitzrayim. This is the Rashi. Three uh, explanations, three interpretations of the word Avreich. The first one is that he is Abba the Malka. He is the father or the companion of the Melech. The second one is Av B'chachma V'rach B'shanim, which, by the way, is the origin of the modern expression that a, a young man learning in Koilel, so they call him an Avreich. Of course, he's not as great in wisdom as Yosef. He might not be as young as Yosef either. He might be 35 or 45 or 50 years old, but a, a, a relatively young man who is learning, uh, learning full-time so he's uh, often referred to as Avrech. That's where the expression comes from. And then we have the third explanation is Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus, who says that the word Avrech has to do with the word Berech or Birkayim, the knees. And it means because everybody had to bend their knees out of respect for Yosef. I'd like to raise on this Rashi four questions, four very simple technical questions. Number one. Why isn't Rashi satisfied with his first explanation? Rashi begins by giving us what seems to be a good explanation. Avreich is a compound of Av and Reich. Rashi does not mention to us, he does not mention explicitly any problem with that shot, and therefore we have to wonder why he even continued. 
why did he uh, go on to Divri Agoda? We know that Rashi's, uh, Rashi's intent, Rashi's uh, main thrust in his commentary on the Torah is to tell us the pshat, not to tell us Agodais. And therefore, if he said a pshat, then he didn't, and he didn't tell us that there's anything wrong with the pshat. So we have to understand why did he then continue to tell us Agoda? Why was he not satisfied with this first pshat? Question B. Rabbi Yehuda puts in a phrase which neither of the other comments do, and that is this phrase, Ze Yosef. When he explains the word Avreich, he begins with a little uh, introduction, a little two-word introduction, and he says, this refers to Yosef. Now, why is he? First of all, that seems to be superfluous. Of course, we're talking about Yosef. This word Avreich only appears one place in the whole Chumash. Here, so obviously, it's referring to Yosef. And Rashi, when he explains the word Avreich, doesn't say Ze Yosef. And Rabbi Yosef ben Damascus does not say Avrech Ze Yosef. He doesn't say those words. Why does only Rabbi Yehuda say those words, Ze Yosef? Question number three is we see here that Rabbi Yosef ben Damascus was very critical of the interpretation of Rabbi Yehuda. The question is why? Rashi doesn't tell us what exactly it is that Rabbi Yosef ben Damascus does not like about Rabbi Yehuda's interpretation. So that's question number three. What is Rabbi Yosef in Damascus's objection to the inter interpretation of Rabbi Yehuda? Question four is really a corollary to number three. And that is, whatever it is that Rabbi Yosef in Damascus didn't like about Rabbi Yehuda's answer, about Rabbi Yehuda's explanation, is that also an, a complaint against Rashi? Does that same kasha also uh, tend to refute what Rashi says, or perhaps not. And the final question is, it would appear from the flow of Rashi that the best pshat here is the pshat of Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus. I mean, he kind of saves it for last. So the question is, if it's so that the explanation of Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus is the best, it's the smoothest, it, it, it avoids all of the problems. So then why didn't Rashi just stick with that one? Why did he begin by telling us two other explanations? And I'd like to begin to attempt to answer these questions one by one. And again, question number one is, why isn't Rashi satisfied with his first explanation that Avrech means Dain Abba Lamalka? The Maskil the David says, that the problem with the first shot in Rashi, with this explanation of Rashi, is that it depends on saying that the word rach is related to an Aramaic or to a Roman word, reich. The word reich, av reich, the part of the word that says reich is related, it is based on either the Aramaic or the Roman word reich. And that, the, the Moscow the David said, is uh, that's a little bit of a problem. I mean, why would the Torah be using a Roman, a Roman word? I would like to point out that this, this question that the Moscow the David asks is, we would say in Yiddish, nicht das I schwer. it's not so difficult, not such a big question. Because in fact, there are other places in the Torah where Rashi explains words in the Torah based on their meaning in other languages. And it doesn't seem to bother Rashi. Probably the most famous example 
is the word in the Torah which refers to what we call tefillin. The Torah never calls them tefillin. It's never called that in the text of the Torah. They are called totafos. And Rashi in one place says totafos is a combination of two words. He says tat, the first two letters, tav, tav, tes, tes, is tat bekasvi shtayim. The word tat in some language called kafsi is means two, the number two. And pas, or fos, is, it means two in Russian Afriki, in some African language. So tat and pas, this means two, and that means two, and two plus two equals four, and tefillin have four parshias in each bias, in each container, four on the head and four on the arm. So there you see that Rashi didn't mind telling us that a word in the Torah has its origins in words in languages other than Hebrew. Of course, that in itself only raises the question, well, why, why does Rashi allow that? Why is that a legitimate way to explain the pshat in a pasuk? So in the Sefer Devik Tov, which is a very, very good, very useful super commentary on the Torah, which I don't happen to have in front of me because I am, I am, uh, I don't want to say I'm away from home. I'm in Eretz Israel at the moment. I don't have all my svarim with me. But the Devik Tov, in his introduction, addresses this question: How could it be that some words in the Torah are to be interpreted on the basis of the meaning of words in other languages? And he explains that really, the first language of humankind was Lashon Hakodesh, was Hebrew. And he says Hebrew at, at some very early stage had a bigger, bigger vocabulary than what, we are, than what we are familiar with today. The truth is, it, it is more or less intuitive that there, are more, that there were more words in the Hebrew language than just all the words that we find in Tanakh. I mean, there are presumably certain uh, household items that people had and, 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 and animals that, 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 that were familiar and, and different things in life that are not mentioned in Tanakh. Not everything is there. The Torah and the Nevi'im Uksuvim only talk about certain very important topics. They're not talking about what kind of knives people used and what they called them and what did they, what did they call this kind of shoelace and that kind of button on their shirt and those words are, are, are lost to us but they did exist in Lush and Kaidish and not only that but there are there may have been certain um, synonyms certain words with very similar meanings I'm not going to say exactly the same meaning then there would be no point in having two words but there may have been certain words certain words that had very similar meanings that there was some nuance between them but essentially, they referred to the same thing. And one or two of them were written in Tanakh, and therefore we know them today. But another one may have drifted into some other languages. At the time of the, 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 store, of the Tower of Babel, at the time of the Dor HaPlaga, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu mixed up everyone's language, there were certain Hebrew words that drifted into these other languages. Sometimes they got changed a little bit, but... They are still recognizable. They may, they may actually be remnants of the original Lashon HaKodesh. So when Rashi tells us, Tat Pasvi Afriki when he says, Totafos is made up of two words, 
one in language A means two, and one in language B means two, and two plus two is four, he doesn't really mean that these words are foreign words that found themselves into the, into the, into the Torah. It means they're really Hebrew words that found themselves drifting into other languages, only they're not normally used in Hebrew, but they're only used in this one place. So this objection that the Mosque of the David raises on Rashi's first shot, that how could you say, how could you say that, how could you say that um, Avrech is Av, the Hebrew word, the well-known Hebrew word Av, plus a Aramaic or Roman word Reich, how could you say it's based on a Roman word? That's really not a very big problem. But okay, perhaps Rashi felt that that's a little bit of a, a dohak, that's a little bit of a forced point, and he was looking for other explanations for this word, avreich. In my humble opinion, there's another issue, or another point that Rashi is making with his first, uh, regarding his first shot. This objection has to do with Rashi's explanation of Merkeves Mishnah. Let's review it. Rashi explains Merkeves Mishnah means Hashniya Lemerkavto, the second chariot, second to the king's first chariot, Hamehaleches Eitzel Shaloi, which goes next to the king's. So the way Rashi pictures it is, the king has his very special uh, chariot, you know, with uh, gold decorations and uh, the, the highest quality wood and, uh, and uh, velour covering on the seats and so on. That's the king's wagon. That's his chariot. There's a second wagon which always goes next to it. That's a wagon that Yosef was placed in to show his great importance. However, that explanation of Rashi is not the only explanation of these words. If we take a look at Targum Unculus, Targum Unculus says, the Archiv Yosei, Parai caused Yosef to ride. He gave him a ride. Verischa Sinyesa delay in his second carriage. If you look at the Ramban, it seems like Ramban explains Unculus as follows. It's not that this carriage always rides next to the king's carriage. No. The king has his Air Force One. He has his first best carriage. Uh, the, the, the royalty in England, uh, many of us saw pictures recently at the queen's funeral. They have this magnificent carriage. I mean, it's just loaded with gold and it's just, it's just a magnificent, fantastic looking carriage. Now, even in the days when the king and the queen rode around in, in horse-drawn carriages before the automobiles, the, the king and the queen didn't always ride in that fantastically ornate and elaborate carriage. That was the number one carriage of the king. But the king also had a number two carriage, a, a carriage that was, I'm sure, very nice, a Cadillac and all that, and uh, leather seat covers, but not the unbelievably ornate uh, carriage that is reserved for special occasions of state. So according to Unculus, 
the carriage in which Yosef was given a ride was the king's second best carriage. According to Rashi, that's not what it's saying. It's saying the king had a carriage that only the king rode in. Nobody got a ride in that, not Yosef, not anybody else. There was another carriage, a second carriage, which had the privilege of riding next to the king's carriage, in which the king did not ride. In that carriage, that, uh, that uh, accompanying carriage, that carriage that is allowed to accompany the king, Yosef sat in that one. Now, I think part of what is moving Rashi towards, that, towards his explanation is that he didn't want to say that Paro allowed Yosef to sit in his carriage, in his private royal carriage, nobody sits. First of all, I think that's a svara. I think that's just logical and understandable. Secondly, there are other places right around in this parsha. I don't want to go into them now, but there are other places that indicate that although Paro was giving a very high status to Yosef, and he was giving a tremendous amount of political power and authority, authority to Yosef, but Paro always made sure that the ultimate honor belonged to he, to him, Paro himself. And therefore, it is not likely that Paro would give Yosef a ride in any carriage in which Paro himself would take a ride, even though it's not his number one carriage. But even to have a, a, a person who was not royalty, any other person other than the king, and maybe his, his wife and his children, but any other person outside the immediate royal family, to have such a person riding in a carriage in which the king sometimes rides, that's something that I think, according to Rashi, the king would not do. Yosef was only allowed to ride in this other carriage in which the king does not ride, but this carriage does have the privilege it can ride along next to the king's carriage. Now, how, what, how does that affect Rashi's explanation of um, Avrech, Dein Abadamalka? I think Rashi is saying, I think part of Rashi's objection to that shot, meaning why he then keeps on looking for other, other explanations, why was he not totally satisfied with his explanation of Dein Abadamalka, is because when you're saying Dein Abadamalka, this person is the father to the king. Even if you'll say the word Abba here really means patron. He's a patron. He's a friend. You're kind of putting Yosef on the, on the, same, on the same level, on the same pedestal as the king himself. And I think Rashi, based on his explanation of Merkeva Samishna, felt that that's going a little too far. Just like Yosef, despite all of his greatness, was not allowed to ride in a carriage that, that the king sometimes rode in. Similarly, it is not correct to say that the word avreich means you are the king's buddy. No, nobody's the king's buddy. You could ride in a carriage next to the king, but that people should call out in front of him, avreich, you are the king's best friend, that's going too far. And perhaps that's why, although Rashi tells us this explanation of Avrech, but he still wants to look for more explanations because there's a little bit of a problem with this first explanation. Let's go to question number two. Why is it that Rabbi Yehuda, before telling us that Avrech 
means av bechokhme barach b'shonim. Why does he add the words ze Yosef? This is Yosef. Rashi, when Rashi says his pshat, does not say the word ze Yosef. Rabbi Yosef ben Damascus, when he says his pshat, he does not say the words. He does not preface it with the words ze Yosef. Why does Rabbi Yehuda do that? And I think the answer is quite simple. According to Rabbi Yehuda, the word Avrech is a description of the man named Yosef, Yosef ben, Ye ben Yaakov. It describes his uh, unique and special personal characteristics, that he is, he is an elder in wisdom, but a young man, a, a gentle, soft young man in years. That's something that is, I wouldn't say unique uh, in, to Yosef, but it is part of what makes Yosef special. It is a description of this man named Yosef. The first shot that Rashi says, this man is the friend of the king. That's not a description of what kind of a person Yosef is. Different people could become the best friend of the king for different reasons. Uh, one person might become the king's best friend because he's a great warrior and he won battles for the king. And another person might become best friends with the king because he's a great financier and he and he manages the king's finances. And another person might be the king's best friend because he, he makes for the king the best sufganiyot and Hanukkah. So when you say someone is the friend of the king, you're not describing that person. You're describing his position and his status in the, the royal hierarchy, but you're not describing the person. Also, when you say, like Rabbi Yosef ben Damascus says, that Avrech means everyone should bow down to him, again, you're not describing the person. Some people you should bow down to because, uh, again, because maybe the, the person is a great warrior and a different person is, is so wealthy, everybody should show the respect. And a different person is, is so, so beneficent, so kind, everybody should show their respect. When you say that everyone should should be nichnes v'yoytzei tachas yodai, everybody should enter and exit from underneath him in a bowed, bowed, in a bent-over position, that's not saying what kind of a person he is. And therefore, by not by Rashi's first pshat and not by Rabbi Yosef and Damascus, does Rashi add the words, ze Yosef, because they are not descriptions of Yosef. It's only by the words of Rabbi Yehuda that, that Rashi says, he's probably just copying from a Midrash, but it's only there that we say, Ze Yosef, because Avrech, according to the interpretation of Rabbi Yehuda, that he is Av Bechachma Barach B'Shonim, is a description of what kind of a person Yosef is. And now we go to question three. And the question is, what exactly was the complaint of Rabbi Yosef ben Damascus against Rabbi Yehuda? Rabbi Yosef ben Damascus heard the words of Rabbi Yehuda, and he said, <laughs> How long will you continue to twist the psukim upon us? He registers some very sharp complaint, but Rashi doesn't tell us what it was. And so we find here a, several opinions of the ones that I saw were the following. The Sif Sechachamim tells us that if you're going to say that Avrech means Av Bechach Mevarach that means you have to insert some words into the Pasuk. 
you have to say the words bichachma and the words bishonim are missing from the pasuk. I mean, they are they are self understood, but really they're not so self understood. How how was I? How was the reader supposed to know that av reich av refers to chachma and reich refers to years? So that's what Rabbi Yosef and Damascus didn't like about the explanation of Rabbi Yehuda. And we can now come to we can now also answer question. Uh, Question four, and that is, why didn't Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus raise, or or was, are the words of Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus and a, a problem? Are they an attack also on Rashi's first shot of Dain Abu Lamalka? And the answer is no. When you say that Av Reich means Av Reich, father of the king, you're not really adding any words. Even the words of the you don't really have to say in, in Lashon Kodesh. If you want to say the house of Yosef, you say base Yosef. You don't need any extra words. If you want to say the house of Yisrael, you say base Yisrael. You don't have to. You don't have to put in the words that correspond to of the. So Rabbi Yosi ben Damascus's uh, complaint against Rabbi Yehuda is not a complaint against Rashi's first explanation. Maskil David says that the problem that Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus had with the explanation of Rabbi Yehuda is that Rabbi Yehuda says, Avreich means av b'chachma merach b'shonim. So, so Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus said, wait a minute. Av b'chachma merach b'shonim, the word should have been avrach, not avreich. And therefore, Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus said, you're twisting the psukim. You're completely ignoring the pshat. Now, I think there are two very noteworthy points uh, that we see here in this, this discussion right here in answering this one question. First of all, we see an attitude, which is really Rashi's attitude throughout his commentary, commentary on the Torah, that our explanations of the of the written Torah should not be if they involve twisting the Pasuk, if they involve turning a Pasuk into something that it doesn't really look like, then it's wrong. And of course, that was one of Rashi's, uh, perhaps his, his most important guiding principle in his entire commentary on the Torah. I think it's also rather amazing, particularly according to the, to the Maskele David, that Rabbi Yosef ben Damascus's objection is that the word avreich, according to Rabbi Yehuda, should have really been avrach. Now, that would seem to be a fairly minor problem, a change in, in one vowel. And yet, Rabbi Yosef ben Damascus storms and thunders and says, Atome aveselinu esaksubim. You take a word that says reich and you're interpreting it as if, as if it said rach, you're twisting and distorting the psukim. You see that even a fairly small nuance like that is very important. And if you get it wrong, you messed up, according to Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus, and I think according to Rashi also, in general. Our last question is, why didn't Rashi just adopt the pshat, the explanation, of Rabbi Yossi ben Damascus. 
He does not tell us that there is any objection to it. He, disp he disposes with the explanation of Rabbi Yehuda because he didn't like something about that. Nobody raises any objections to the explanation of Rabbi Yehuda ben Damascus. So why, did, why, did, why didn't Rashi just tell us that explanation? Here we have a comment from Rav Hirsch, which is really uh, echoed in some of the earlier, earlier commentaries. I'm going to use Rav Hirsch as my uh, exemplary commentary of this uh, school of thought. And that is that this word Avrech, according to Rabbi Yaisi ben Damascus, what, what is the diktuk? What kind of a word is this? What is it? What is the exact translation? Uh, most of the Rishonim say that the word Avrech is like Havrech and like the word Nosain. It is what is called the Mokar. It's not bow down. It, it doesn't mean you bow down singular. It doesn't mean you bow down plural. It doesn't mean you bow down feminine. It doesn't mean you should bow down masculine. It doesn't mean he did bow down. She did bow down. She will bow down. He will bow down. It's not in any tense or, or related to any particular person. It's what's called the mucker or what we might call in English the infinitive of a word, of a verb, lehavrich, to to bend to one's knees, to show obeisance, to show your, your, your loyalty and your, your subjugation of yourself to a certain person by bending your knees. So by Yikra'u fun of Avrech, they called out in front of him, bend your knees, but not bend your knees, bending knees, knee bending, perhaps we could translate in English. They called out in front of Yosef, knee bending. It's time for knee, knee bending. However, there's one small problem with that explanation. It should be havrech, not avrech. I'm sitting here in Yerushalayim. A lot of people in Yerushalayim would have a very hard time relating to this because they pronounce havrech and avrech almost exactly the same. They don't pronounce their he's very much. But to me, havrech and avrech are not, not so close. And of course, no matter how you pronounce it, but the he is not an olive and an olive is not a he. And therefore, this is somewhat of an issue with the explanation of Rabbi Yaisi ben Damascus. It is true that we can, we can resolve this problem, and that we shine him already uh, give this resolution by taking a look at a Pasuk in Yermia. Yermia Hanavi, in Perik Chafei, Pasuk Gimel, of his Sefer, he says, the word of Hashem has come to me. And he, there he says at the beginning of the Pasuk, the word of Hashem has been coming to me for, for many years. And I have spoken to you, to you, Klal Yisrael. Like the word to wake up early, early to, get, to get to work early. Ashkem vidaber, getting up early and speaking, and you, plural, did not listen. So here we have the mocker of the verb lehashkim, which is really spelled with a hey, but here it is spelled with an aleph. So not such a big kashya on Rabbi Yosef ben Damascus 
that it here the Pasik says Avrech rather than Havrech. But it's a it's a small problem. It's a small uh slightly unusual uh, way that the Pasik is expressing itself according to his interpretation. And therefore, that could be why Rashi also presented us with other explanations. Rav Hirsch elaborates on this point that they called out in front of Yosef, bowing down, time to bow down. And he says that this is something that a tyrant like Parai would do for himself. He, he says a tyrant like Parai would have an officer at his side at all times. And wherever Paro would go, the officer would, would bang, would give a clap, he would bang with a stick, and he would say, Havrech, time for everybody to bow down. Havrech, Havrech, Havrech. What are you standing there for like a goylem? Bow down. And he says that shows a weakness, actually, on the part of Paro. When you have to impose your will on others, when you have to impose upon them, their respect for you, rather than acting in such a way that they feel that it is appropriate to honor you, that really shows that you're you're not a very good leader. You're really a probably a cruel and tyrannical kind of leader. And really nobody likes you and nobody really respects you, but they have to, because every time you walk by, there's a there's a there's an, an officer with a with a sword who's yelling, bend your knees, bow down. And this is exactly what Pare decreed for Yosef. He was making Yosef the Mishnah Lamelech. He was making him a carbon copy of himself. It doesn't mean Yosef particularly wanted this. One, one could imagine that, that a person like Yosef didn't really enjoy it so much, that wherever he went, there was an officer yelling, bow down, bow down. But this is the kind of kingdom that Pare was running that he was arrogant and tyrannical, as, of course, we are going to find out as the Chumash continues the, its, uh, its stories.